Socks on 35th is next. Doors open on the left. How's it going, everybody? My name is Duke Coughlin, and welcome to the Socks on 35th podcast. We are back with another exciting episode covering your Chicago White Sox. As always, I'm joined by our panelists, Jordan Lazowski and Nick Gower. Gentlemen, it is a another fun weekend of White Sox baseball where we have absolutely no understanding of what this team is, besides the fact that they probably suck, maybe. Um, but besides that, gentlemen, how are we doing? You're refusing to pull me back in. on that. It's not happening. I am not being pulled back in. It's over. I've got trade deadline articles written. It's over. It's done. Um, with that being said, the, the pressure, it's weird. It's like, it's like, it, it doesn't affect me. Like I, I can't affect the game. So like the pressure you'd feel like I'd feel when like it's a close game and they're in it late and they're in the competition or in their, they're competitive. It's like, I get nervous in those situations. Now I'm like, eh, I'm just watching baseball, um, which is not a good feeling in the contention window, but it helps the stress levels a little bit. Yeah, for sure. And on the flip side, or maybe not really on the flip side, but I I watched part of the game on Friday where they got blown out and obviously turned it off when it got unbearable. And then Saturday, Sunday, I was kind of running around doing things and only saw highlights. So that's how my <laughs> white side viewing experience went. I missed all the good and only saw the bad, but it at least looks like they were hitting a bit. I mean, if the team is going to be bad, they might as well be a little bit fun. And it seems like that was the case over the weekend. So I guess that's a good thing. That's the threshold I still have to cross is turn it off when it gets bad. Like I'll be sitting there. It's the sixth, seventh inning. It's eight to nothing. They're down. I'm like, why am I still watching this? It's like that moment of realization. I still have yet to cross that. Uh, so I'm glad you've been able to separate that and save a little bit of your sanity. Cause I have not. <laughs> yeah. I unfortunately watched the entire game on Friday in its entirety. Um, and I, I don't know why I do that to myself, genuinely. And then it's funny because Saturday I'm like, oh, you know what? I'm going to a Post Malone concert. It's going to save me from having to watch the White Sox play the best team in baseball. Then all I hear about Sunday morning is how that was the best the White Sox looked all season. And then I come to today where the White Sox – or I come to Sunday where the White Sox decide to um, win two or three and win a series against the best team in baseball. So that's where we are at – White Sox fans in the season and because of stupid occurrences like this weekend, that's why we unfortunately cannot turn these games off. But now that we've gotten that out of the way, we have quite a bit to cover in this episode. We have some fan responses, but before we get started, be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple, Spotify, YouTube, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. Also be sure to check out the website at SoxDown35th.com. As Jordan said, there's going to be quite a bit of trade deadline articles. Um, there is going to be some Final articles, as well as uh, discussing the rookie contracts that were just signed. Uh, so be on the lookout for that, as well as following us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Sox on 35th. So obviously, we already touched on it a little bit, but the 2023 Chicago White Sox continue to be the 2023 Chicago White Sox in the sense that they play down to opponents that they should beat. Um, you know, you look at the Kansas City Royals of the world, you look at the Pittsburgh Pirates early on in the season of the world. Um, that is a series that I just have a hard time getting over. And you look at this team and you see them just play terribly. They look untalented. They look uninterested. Um, they just play absolutely brutal baseball. And then you go into a series against the Atlanta Braves, best team in baseball, absolutely destroying baseballs. I'm pretty sure set a record last month for the most home runs in Major League history by a baseball team in a single month. And we win two or three. Does that make sense to me? Um, this team proves once again that it does have the talent to compete with these teams, yet they decide not to for whatever reason. And it just continues to be very frustrating. You know, honestly, you know, as I was saying before we started the show, um, if had we gotten swept, it, it wouldn't have hurt nearly as much as us winning two of three where I should be happy with this team because it's like, oh, they can do it. It's like, no, they can do it. We're just in July and they hadn't done it up to this point. So it's a little bit too late. And uh, sure, it might be nice for trade value at the deadline, but it's just, it, it's frustrating. It, it's very, very frustrating. I don't know what your guys' thoughts are on the weekend, but um, a lot of people are really happy about this win over the Braves. And I'm just sitting here like, where was this team two months ago? There was a comment in 
passing. And I, I, it was after Sunday's game or during Sunday's game. It was either on the broadcast or um, it, during the post-game show. And I know that's a very specific point in time. I apologize for not remembering. But it was just a passing comment that I, as we were preparing for this episode, I, I was thinking about. It, it was regarding Luis Robert and some of the adjustments he's made um, and how he's playing the way he looks right now. It, it was along the lines of, like, I, it bothers me, I don't remember who said it. It was along the lines, you know, it took him a while to buy in to what the staff was saying. And it's like, that feels like the crux of it. It feels like more than a passing comment. It feels like everything that comes to understanding the Chicago White Sox and especially the hitting side of things is the concept of buying in and playing the long road with results. I think we talked about this very early on in the season. Um, What's the runway look like for a hitting coach when they're trying to bring in new ideas, work with guys, get get that buy-in, especially with the World Baseball Classic and everything that went into spring training? And it feels like that runway wasn't proper for what needed to happen this season in terms of contention window. We can debate the merits of whether or not guys should be taking as long as they are to buy in. We don't know when Robert really bought in because he's had a couple good months. So it might have taken him two months to buy in. Um. But that feels like it's still to make that comment in July feels like it's still kind of hanging over the head of this team. And I don't know what to make of it. That was the biggest thing that I took away from this week. And it really was just a passing comment. What is the general buy in to this coaching staff, to this to this um, hitting coach and everything that comes with it, the hitting philosophy? And how is that still hanging over this team? And the answer to that needs to come sooner rather than later because you got to fix this for next year, right? It's like you can't just have a post-mortem and be done with it because what happens if you change change ownership, change a GM, change coaching staff again? How long is this runway? How long until you find the right mix to buy in? So it, it really was the biggest thing I took away from a fun weekend but one that really doesn't mean much to me in the grand scheme of things, to be honest, except other than maybe Atlanta tells the White Sox to leave a starting pitcher um, in Truist Park because they need one badly. Yeah, it's an interesting discussion for sure in terms of what you're, what you're saying about buy-in because I think that it's important to remember that a lot of these players, and of course I'm not talking about like a ground dollar Benintendi, but a lot of these players prior to this coaching staff have only known a Tony La Russa coaching mm-hmm. staff, or in some cases, La Russa and, and Ricky Renderia. So who knows, you know, exactly what kind of information, what kind of preparation they were being given under those regimes. Because I know that Griffo's biggest thing when he was hired was he wants to change the way this team prepares and all that. And when you're talking about buy-in, maybe it could be that some guys are just going from zero to a hundred. Might be a charitable way of looking at it. Like maybe they weren't given a lot of information in the past. And now they're getting a ton. And the issue with buy-in is that they're just going from you know, nothing to a lot and it's overwhelming and it takes some time to adjust. But at the same time, you would think that a lot of that, um, that basis should have been laid and the foundation should have been laid in spring training or even in the winter in the off season, because it's not like we're full of tired in March. Like I get that you're not together with the team and it's a lot easier to do things that way. But at the same time, you should still probably have some sort of communication before that. Like, Hey, these are the kind of terms we're going to be addressing. Like I remember, it was considered foreign to some White Sox hitters, or at least you would think it would be, when they were going to start talking about the inches of uh, vertical and horizontal break on pitches. Like that was a new concept coming into this season. So it's hard for me to say this is this is or is not the coaching staff's fault because kind of what Jordan was saying, who knows what will happen next and whether it really is on the players for not buying it or maybe it's the coaches who weren't communicating it effectively. But it's an interesting discussion because really when you think about it, this team, especially since you know May or June, has been hitting for power, you know, a decent amount. They just haven't been hitting for for contact anymore and taking walks. But this weekend, in addition to Robert and Berger supplying power, even uh, Anderson and Benintendi, maybe not quietly because Benintendi um, got a lot of love, but even Anderson, I think, quietly had a pretty good weekend at the plate. So it's frustrating because you're seeing it all come together. But as you both have hinted at, it's probably too little too late. And and it's like, he, you have a comment like Griffalls, where it's like the team wasn't prepared, or they weren't, whatever he said after that first loss, where it's like they're not prepared, they're not executing. It's like, 
they're not focused or whatever that comment was that everyone got up in arms over. It's like, dude, I know you're a first year manager and I have been, I, I, uh, at least in my opinion, have been a lot kinder on a first year manager than a lot of Sox fans have, but dude, that that's your job to make sure they're prepared to make sure everything's like tied up to make sure there's an emphasis on the right things. Like, it, those are the sorts of it, I I think of like the meme where the person like sticks the stick in their bicycle wheel and then like flip off. It's exactly it's like there's an issue, but that's that's your issue to fix right there. Um, that that's what you can control as a, a manager. You can't necessarily control, um, you know how they end up hitting at the plate, but you can control the information you give them, how you prepare them, things like that. That was another comment where it's like. Yeah, these are still things that need to be ironed out, but they should have been ironed out already. And if they're not, it's like, well, is that because of the players? Is it because of the staff? Or is it just because you're a brand new head coach? These are all things that it's like, again, you're in July in the middle of a contention window. It's frustrating that that's where they're sitting at. Yeah, you know, and I think you kind of nailed on the head in regards to him being a first-year manager. You know, we can only give so much leash for that before it's like, hey, Pedro, this is your job. You need these guys to be on the same page every day. You know, this is a group group of men who spend a lot of time with each other throughout the course of a year. You know, you need these guys to be firing on all cylinders. Um, they should be they should have a full understanding of what the team philosophy is about what you expect out of them on a day-to-day basis. And it should be the same across the board, you know, and this is where, you know, we discussed about it a little bit earlier in the season was, you know, accountability is nice, but you need to make sure everybody's being equally held accountable. Otherwise you're going to, you're going to get friction in the locker room because guys are going to wonder why they're being thrown under the bus as often as they are, but some guys are are being given a pass. Hopefully that's something that is, you know, being worked towards, you know, and hopefully that's something we continue to improve on because I think in that regard, especially after the Luis Roberts situation, we've seen that get improved a little bit more, even, even if it is a minor demotion for a Tim Anderson moving down to the second hole and uh, second spot in the lineup compared to the leadoff spot, you know, even just showing that you continue to show guys um, are accountable for those types of situations. That's, that's going to bring the team together a little bit more. And, you know, maybe that's what we see in the second half of the season, but that's something, you know, you nailed it, Jordan. Like that is your job. Those, those things you're saying that were wrong with the team on Friday. That's all you buddy. You, you kind of have to be in control of that. You need to make sure the vibe in the locker room is a bunch of guys that are ready to go, go out there and win baseball games. You know, you talked, he was, you know, floating every quote, every quote in the world when he was hired about how this team's going to come out here to kick ass and everything. And, you know, hooting, hollering about how tough this team is going to be. And if we don't have guys on the same page, how are we ever going to accomplish that? You know, and maybe this was a preview of what this team can look like when we do that. But I don't know. It's uh, it's something that really needs to be monitored, monitored with uh, Pedro moving forward. Um, obviously, things that are going to be monitored um, in the coming weeks are the trade deadline, especially as that's moving forward. Um, we do have a couple rumors that have really started to kind of take off um, with guys specifically like Lance Lynn and Lucas Giolito. Um, you know, I know Lucas has been getting quite a bit of the, uh, rumors surrounded around the Dodgers. Um, there have been some that have come around, uh, with the Cincinnati Reds as well. Um, Lance Lynn and the Tampa Bay Rays seems to be a rumor that is not going away as well. Um, that's all going to depend on price, you know, and I think it's interesting how we're going to maneuver this and how we're going to kind of, uh, force the issue to make sure the price does remain, you know, equal for these, for these types of trades, you know, our team's going to come at us and think like, Oh, well, the Sox need to get rid of these guys, regardless, we're going to lowball them. Or are they going to try to uh, drum up a little bit of a, you know, a little bit of a competition as far as, you know, teams wanting to send that extra prospect to put that, make that deal over the hump and make that deal look better than the other. Um, It's going to be interesting to see, especially with the Reds who are a team that really many people didn't expect to compete as well as they are this season. Um, Are they a team that is willing to get a little bit of aggressive to get a Lucas Giolito, you know, and I think they might be, especially based on their past and some of the decisions they've made as far as building their team. So um, I don't know if you guys have a lot of thoughts on this, but I do think it's interesting moving forward. And I think specifically the Lance Lynn um, situation is something to really monitor. I think your first comment about, you know, teams lowballing the socks is kind of helped by the fact that it, this is a seller's market of sorts in that, it doesn't seem like there's going to be a ton of 
high upside starting pitchers on the market. Max Scherzer might be the highest name there, and that's if New York really, really decides to sell. Um, it looks like to take on. Exactly, and that's a huge contract to take on. So it's Giolito, it's Stroman maybe, it's Jordan Montgomery from St. Louis, Jack Flaherty, who hasn't been great. Like I would probably take Giolito among, above all of those except Scherzer, but Scherzer is the contract. Um, so I think that ends up being a place where, you know, you can probably start talking about top 100 prospects back end for Giolito. Like top 100 prospects doesn't mean go grab a guy in the thirties. It means look at guys like eighties, even pushing it. Like it's a, it's eight starts of Lucas Giolito. That's all these teams are trading for. And the opportunity to, you know, Make him like your city in the case of someone like LA for free agency. It's like he already likes it there, it doesn't really matter. Um, but it's eight starts. You you can't expect to get a lot from him. And in the case of Lynn, it's even less. I know the Sox keep saying, oh, the price is steep, and that's probably because he has that option next year. But no one's paying that 18 million. It's it's weird. I I probably wouldn't trade with the Rays in that one either. Um, just because it's the Rays, I don't it, it, those teams are the way they are for the reason, a reason I don't need to be the team that gets fleeced by them. Um, but I do think that you can put together a picture where Lynn gets a decent return as well. Yeah. The tough thing for me is I, I totally agree with what you're saying about Giolito. I think that personally I'll be disappointed if he doesn't get a back end top 100 prospect, which to be clear, that doesn't necessarily mean he has to get somebody on that list. There are a lot of guys who like, maybe didn't technically make the list, but like, you know, objectively would be like in the 110, 120 range. That's fine too. Like a headliner in that, you know, 80 to 120 range seems fair for Giolito given that it's a seller's market and that like Jordan said, there aren't very many good starters available. So that's fine. Where I'm more worried is about the non-Giolito trades and who knows how many there will even be, but you know, we, we just talked about Lance Lynn and then they haven't been rumored as much, but you have the relievers, you have guys like Grandal who are also on expiring deals. Who knows how much value those guys have, but I just think back to the rebuild where outside of the main deals, and by that I mean Sale, Quintana, Eaton, all the trades in hindsight were really, really minor, like trading a reliever to the Brewers and getting like Ryan Cordell or, you know, a bunch of names that I probably don't even remember right now. The point being that most of these little trades didn't really amount to anything. And that's baseball. Like you're not expected to get, you know, some all-star player for a few months of Lance Lynn. I'm I'm not arguing that. But at the same time, it's kind of like I'm, I'm kind of hoping we can be a little creative here, maybe packaging a reliever or two with Giolito to, to increase the return. That's something that the White Sox haven't really done since the uh, the Blake Rutherford trade. And obviously that one didn't turn out. But at least I appreciate that it was, you know, an idea. And you, you, even though it, it didn't work out, I thought it was an interesting way to kind of get a better headliner than you would have for Whoever, I don't even know who was considered the most valuable in that trade. Maybe Tommy Canley, honestly, but with him and Robertson and Frazier. But overall, I'm just hoping to see some sort of creativity because I'm really not that optimistic that anything you get for Lynn or a reliever or Grandal is, is really going to be that impactful unless you trade someone like Dylan Cease, which we'll talk about later, but I would be surprised to see that. That's exactly what I hope that Rickon's running this sell-off to. What I hope he learned from the last one was exactly what you said, Nick. Don't just trade a reliever and get a 25-year-old quad A guy. You can sign those guys off the streets for as much as you're um, trading for them. I would rather package Giolito with a Joe Kelly or Giolito with a Kendall Graveman to make sure that I get that borderline top 100 name or that top 100 name, depending on the situation. Because it's like, I wouldn't rather accept the lesser guy and try and get Graveman elsewhere. It's like, or try and get something for Graveman elsewhere. Like, I just don't think the reward is there. Just get as many good players. Don't just get players. Get good players. Or guys you think are going to be good players. You can probably guess the 25-year-old guy who's hitting 350 in AAA, eh, it's probably not going to be a great major league player. But you can dream on the 20, 21 year old, 22 year olds um, that eh, if I had to put Giolito and a reliever into that one, I get the return. I, I get a better return in that case. That's, that's a return I can dream on versus one. It's like, you're literally 
preying on these quad A type players, just reliever for player moves. Well, you know, and I think the the important thing to remember uh, with the trade deadline, because it has been a while since we've been legitimate sellers. And, you know, it's you have to go back a little bit, you know, since we've even been in the contention window to the point where, like, we've actually had good enough players to sell off compared to keeping the young players that we already had. Um, you know, teams get desperate. Teams will hone in on a guy that they want, and they will decide that they will give up a little bit more than they normally would. Like, you know, and I think that's why it's important to differentiate, say, like a trade deadline move compared to an offseason move. You know what I mean? Or even like an early season move. Teams, teams, if they think they can make a run here in the second half of the season and they think they are one starting pitcher away, they will pay a little bit extra for a guy like Lucas Giolito, who, you know, while he hasn't been great the last two seasons, has been pretty, pretty damn good this season. You know what I mean? That's a guy where eight starts is worth chipping away a little bit at that future if you think he can help you win a World Series, you know, and that's that's where I hope we really kind of take advantage of are these teams that are desperate, you know, and, you know, I know you had brought up uh, potentially getting fleeced by the Rays, Jordan, um, and I think that is a good point because they're a team that isn't necessarily desperate for a guy like Lance Lynn. They're not desperate really for anything. You know, they're one of the best teams in baseball and they can make a run with how they're currently built. They're just looking to get a little bit stronger. You know, you could say the same about the Dodgers. You know, they're a team that's just trying to get a little bit stronger. You have a team like the Reds where they feel like they've hit lightning in a bottle and they have a nice little farm system they've built up from being god awful the last few seasons. They're, they might be willing to take that shot to really make a run. You know, it's those are the teams you really have to watch out for that were bad going into the season, have a little bit of piss and vinegar moving forward and think like, OK, we don't know if we can do this again next year. Maybe maybe we try to make a run here, because if we win a World Series in this one season, you know, season ticket holders are going to going to going to skyrocket regardless if we're good for the next five, 10 years. That's just it's the reality of it. If you look at the Nationals, even you know what I mean? Um, so I really think that's something we really have to use to our advantage um make you know take advantage of these teams that are desperate you know and if if some of these big names which would be ideal if some of these bigger names came off the board in the trade deadline in the next week it would be able to give us a lot more chips and a leveraging type move with lucas giolito because hey that's another guy off the board you can't trade for we got lucas here that we're just kind of waving in front of you so it's going to be interesting to see how we maneuver. Obviously, guys like uh, Graveman, Joe Kelly, those are names that should be obvious. Um, and, you know, you know, you never know what kind of return you can get for those guys either. Um, I think of the Rick Hahn move to bring in a guy like Craig Kimbrell and a guy like uh, Ryan Tapera, where we did give up a significant little little chip. I mean, it didn't end up being significant. You know, I don't think anyone's losing sleep over the fact that we don't have Nick Madrigal currently on the roster. But when we made that move, it was like, ooh okay, that was, that was a significant little piece. That was a guy that we thought we were going to play second base for a while. And, you know, while we give Rick Hahn a lot of shit, other GMs around the league aren't different, that different in that regard. They're willing to give up that piece if they think they can make a run. And similar to the 2021 White Sox, we thought we could make a run. We made some pretty aggressive moves, and hopefully we can leverage that type of move moving forward. And I think that was the sort of, that camera was a good example, dude. That was the sort of, a lot of Sox fans were like, oh, really great move. Way to actually go all in be like, hey, I'm doubling down on this group. Didn't work out how they wanted. I, it's always the hindsight argument. But at that moment, I, I, I think we were all kind of on the same page of, oh, yeah, this is, you, you're doubling down. This is your group. You're going after it. You just traded for the best reliever in baseball to make one of the best bullpens to go with a really solid offense right now. Did it work out? No, but that's the sort of move when you have the best reliever in baseball. I'm sure the Sox weren't the only call. The Cubs were fielding at that time. But that trade also wasn't made until the day before or the day of. I can't remember which one it was. The trade deadline. So I know we're doing our trade deadline preview here like two weeks before. But the reality is like you should expect to see more of those moves around, hopefully, around like the 26th, 27th, 28th. Like those days where the market's been set, teams are trying to figure things out still, and they still see Giolito sitting there. I don't want the Sox to just go and do something just to do it. Like wait it out. Someone will go for Giolito, and you'll probably get a better return further down the line towards that trade deadline versus trying to do it now. It's the same sort of idea when the Sox were buying. It's like, well... You're not going to get something early on. Like maybe a move or two will happen here. We're like, Rick, what are you doing? Rick, it's like, well, 
he is dealing with other GMs who want to wait as long as possible to maximize the return. It's being on the flip side of it here, essentially. That is the other big thing I'm hoping he can take away from all of this is wait, 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 maximize. You don't wait till the very end, maybe, but find that point to maximize. And it's not July 16th, 17th, 18th. I don't think, despite what some of the rumors are saying. Yep, I agree 100%. That was kind of the the main point I was really trying to get across. I really hope Rick Hahn does a good job of maneuvering this and maximizing value, you know, and I think you nail it. You know, I and I'm not sure a lot of fans totally understand that aspect of it, but don't make a move just to make a move. Make it at the right time at the right price. And uh, you know, if you have to if you have to take a little bit less cuz you waited a little bit too long, yes, that sucks, but if uh, if Rick Hahn maneuvers this correctly, he'll be able to get a pretty good return for anybody that he's moving because teams will get very aggressive at the end of the deadline. We see it every single season. Um, now, another interesting part of this entire dynamic, because we just talked about a couple players who are included in rumors, it, it has been leaked that we do have some untouchable players. And this is a list that has thrown some people for a loop. Some people understand it. And some people are wondering, how do we have that many people on that list? How do we not have more people on that list? As it stands right now, it sounds like Aloy Jimenez, Andrew Vaughn, Dylan Cease, Luis Robert, that is the four that the White Sox will not not take trade calls on. They will not listen. They will not make a move with any of those four players. Um, I have my own personal thoughts on this. Nick, I'll let you take this one off the top. Um, how do you feel about these four in particular? And do you feel like this list should be shorter or longer? Or should there be any untouchables? Yeah, so I think it's interesting because I'll start with Robert because that's the one that most people seem to agree should be on this list. And I also agree with that. But just to be clear, I'm seeing some say, well, what if you get, you know, six top 100 prospects in one trade for Robert? Some like crazy amount, you know. And it's not so much that I'm saying we're going to win a World Series two years from now with Luis Robert, but more so it's that when you have someone with over four years of control, I think he's as good as Robert is. You're just not going to get his fair value on the market, even if you try. So that's, I agree with that one. As for the others, I, I can't say I really agree. I mean, it kind of depends on how you define the word untouchable because what I call Andrew Vaughn untouchable in the sense that he's too valuable to trade, no, not at all. But at the same time, I don't think this is a good time to move Andrew Vaughn because his value arguably has never been lower given that he has been okay at best this year. And you're kind of expecting a lot more out of him offensively. So unless the team offers you a trade for him, that matches up with your, you know, draft day evaluation of him, then, then sure, you know, he shouldn't be untouchable. But I feel I feel like that's more just saying, like, it wouldn't make sense to trade him right now. Or at least I hope that's what that means. Kind of similar with Jimenez, where we all, unlike Vaughn, we know that Jimenez can be a very, very dangerous hitter because he's shown it over significant stretches. So given that this year he's kind of been up and down, and a lot of that's not his fault, like, you know, appendicitis is not his fault. At the same time, it would kind of be selling low on him. So again, I wouldn't call that untouchable. I would just say it's not a good time to trade him. But the one that I really disagree on is Cease, just because we've kind of talked about this on past episodes, I believe. But given that you know his agent is, is Scott Boris, meaning he's very unlikely to resign unless we offer him you know top dollar, which the White Sox are not known to do, he's pretty much guaranteed to leave the White Sox in a couple of years. So personally, I would definitely kind of like Giolito just trade him to the highest bidder because chances are you're not winning anything very significant with C still on your roster, unless this quick little retool goes extremely well. And I think trading him could be a good way to jumpstart that. But at the same time, maybe he's untouchable because they want to reassess in the off season. You know, who knows? I don't think his value will be that different between now and December. I would also reassess Cease in the off season, just because he still doesn't look like the 2023 version or excuse me, 2022 version. Um, he looks good. Like, Teams are going to be like, yeah, he hasn't lost anything on his stuff, so we can fix the rest. Like, teams are going to look at stuff first. Stuff's the same. Everyone else is going to be like, all right, we'll we'll fix the control. We know what's going wrong, stuff like that. But at the same time, you can kind of sell low because you can say, oh, look, the walk rate's kind of jumping a little bit and stuff like that. So I probably wouldn't reassess until he has a little bit more time throughout the rest of this season to kind of hopefully clean things up. Robert. I'm on the same page with you, Nick. I wouldn't move him right now. I I don't know why Andrew Vaughn continues to make name on this list. Like, 
I, I agree with the logic that you follow, Nick, but that isn't a reason to like leak his name and be like, oh, we're probably not going to move this guy. Like this list feels more to me like, hey, we think this is what we can start with heading into next season. Um, it doesn't feel like, oh, they figured out, oh, he's at the low point of his value. I don't know. I might be wrong. You might be. I agree with your assessment, Nick. I just don't necessarily agree that that's how they're viewing this. Just because I, I don't, I don't think I'll ever view a first baseman profile as untouchable necessarily. Um, but overall, the biggest problem with all of this, and kind of probably the hesitation behind moving some of these guys, is just, let's just say this rest of the season they just absolutely tank it off and they get a top six pick in the lottery, things like that. Because of the new rules they wouldn't be able to pick higher than 10th next year. So it doesn't incentivize them to tank next year. So it's like, you don't necessarily want to be bad and just, you, you can't just do what the Astros did or the Orioles did and just stack up like number one and number two overall picks anymore. Like you can go six top six and then 10 and then you can jump back up. It's like kind of feels like how we got here in the first place where they picked third and fourth a bunch of times instead of picking first or second. Like, I would just, I, I, I would probably consider moving these guys maybe next offseason. You lose a ton of value by doing that if things aren't going well, or excuse me, next season, um, assuming things don't go well. But it, it's hard to say, yeah, get rid of everybody that isn't Luis Robert simply because there's less of an incentive to tank now. So I think you guys both make some very valid points. Um, I have a little bit of a different view than I think both of you guys do. Um, but I mean, honestly, it's, it's hard to say what, what the group think at, you know, 35th and shields is right now, as far as why anyone's untouchable or why anyone's being moved. I mean, I think we were all a little thrown off with the whole, we're not even going to negotiate with Lucas Giolito to situation, but I'm not even going to try to get into that. Cause I don't want to see Laz blow up. Um, but regardless, I, uh, I honestly agree with these four and that is probably going to be a little controversial, but Luis Robert, I think, and I think with Luis Robert and Dylan Cease both, I don't see their value changing negatively in the next year or two, genuinely. I mean, we have control over these guys, and control is going to be a big part of us getting a, a, a big deal out of the, out of them. And I think at the deadline, that's not where you make these types of trades. This At the deadline is where you send rentals, where, guy, where teams are going to pay a premium to get that. They're not thinking about next year per se. They're thinking about just getting a guy to help them make a run to the World Series. Winter meetings is a completely different discussion. And this is why I've said in the past that I think a Tim Anderson specifically is a better discussion to have at winter meetings, because then you're able to look at the grand scheme of things as a baseball team and say, okay, we didn't do great last year, but now we kind of want to compete this year. So we'll make, we'll make this trade now because we think we're ready. Whereas teams right now, they're either ready to make a run or they're not. It's just simply the, the standing situation. You know what I mean? If you haven't won a lot of games this season, I don't care how feel, how good you're feeling about your roster, you're not going to buy at the deadline. Whereas in winter meetings, you might be a little bit more willing to buy and you might be a little bit more willing to take chunks of that farm to push it all in to see what you can do in the next season. So I think with Cease and Robert, regardless if you want to keep them long-term, I think you need to play that down the road a little bit. As far as Vaughn and Jimenez, you know, Aloy, I still feel like they want to see more. I, I think they just want to get more of a look at both Aloy and Vaughn because you see what Aloy has done this season in limited action. And I hate that it's always Aloy in limited action, but he's got a really respectable stat line right now. And he's really turned it on. The home runs maybe haven't come, but everything else has. And he's hitting he's hitting baseballs very hard and, you know, simply put, you need guys like that. And especially a guy who only has a bat in his hand, he's hitting well, you know, there's just no other way around it. And Andrew Vaughn, you know, and he is a guy who gets beaten over the head by the fan base. And I understand all, I understand a lot of it, you know, and it doesn't help that we went from Paul Canerco to Jose Abreu. That is basically what a lot of us grew up with. You know, it's, it's kind of a difficult, difficult spot to take, but I will say that Andrew for his age and for where his career is, he doesn't offend me nearly as much as a lot of people. He offends a lot of people. I think I think they want to get more of a look at him. They want to see more of what he is. Um, I think next year is going to be a big season for him to really see if he's going to take that next step or if this is just going to be the player who he's always going to continue to be. Um, that's another guy where we're looking at a guy like Luis Robert this far down the line making big big differences in his approach and 
it paying dividends. Maybe that's something that Andrew Vaughn needs to start taking a little bit more, you know, coaching with. So um, I don't necessarily hate this untouchable. I wish uh, I wish Andrew Benintendi was on this untouchable list because I feel like with just handing out the contract that we did, it would be a little bit weird to trade him right now. I think he's a guy that's going to end up playing out that contract really regardless. Um, I don't know if that's just an obvious one, but I, I thought it was a little weird not seeing his name on there. But um, overall, I don't disagree with it. You were personally offended by that, I assume, Duke. A little bit. I was the ex- bit. the exclusion of Benintendi. Yeah, because I I I mean I think Andrew <laughs> Benintendi the second they signed him that deal they're not they're not moving him if they got to fucking pay him like, but I don't know I don't I don't hate this untouchable list I just uh, I I just want him to focus on moving on from the players that are obviously going to be rentals or players they're going to move on at, move on from after the season anyway. And then go to the go to the offseason, just kind of reevaluate where you are as a franchise and then kind of go from there. Because I think you're going to get more value with player control at the at the winter meetings than you are at the deadline. That's just personally how I feel about it. I don't think it's a bad argument, personally, in terms of guys like Cease and Robert. Um, it just I, I, it's the balance of. Do you trade them now and try and get something for them or it's like because at a certain point, it's like if. And this is just one example, and it's not a deep one, but it's like if, it's, if Andrew Vaughn still doesn't show any progress over these next two, three months, it's like you're never going to get anything for him. This is just a first average first base profile, and there are about 700 minor league baseball players who can probably do this. Um, that's the biggest concern for me, and I don't think it has necessarily anything to do with when you trade them. It's just more so like, yeah, do you – get the value now do you bank on it in the future it's all that game of do you see him making the adjustments or making that next step or not and it's it's an important question when you're assessing your untouchables list but also assessing when to make that sort of move so i I don't necessarily disagree with your point either Duke. yeah i appreciate the the explanation from duke on vaughn i think it makes a lot of sense and Really, my fear, and I think I first said this, said this or wrote this in like April or May, is that the trade deadline is going to pass, and the White Sox are still going to have players who are free agents after the year on the roster. I don't know if it's a, if this is an irrational fear or not, but I could just see them, you know, doing a little bit, trading Gilito, trading Lynn, maybe throwing like a Joe Kelly, but you still have like you know, say Middleton and Grandal on the roster, two guys who are not currently expected to be here next year, and. I'm not saying you have to like trade everyone. Like I understand that someone like Kendall Graveman, like I would like to see him traded if you get a good offer, but he also was under contract for one more year. So there's some value left there at the same time. If he, there's someone who's not going to be on the team, that's one area where I might say, I don't mind making a move just to make a move purely because the 1% chance that you get a real major league player for him in the future might be worth it when the, in the two months that you keep, like he has money around all, he's not going to do anything to help you in the long run. Other than that, I don't need them to fully like, you know, go all in on anything. That's just my one fear is like, I hope they just truly clean, clean all the shelves, clean the house out, whatever you want to say of the expiring guys. And hopefully two weeks from now, that's what happens. Yeah, no doubt. And I, I agree with that point wholeheartedly. We have no business keeping anybody who's going to be a free agent moving forward, um, especially with how this is built. Um, I did think I did think Gordon Beckham made a pretty good point on the broadcast today. Um, talking about how the Atlanta Braves catchers are kind of set up and how teams should prioritize getting that second catcher. And, you know, hopefully a, hopefully a team that's looking to contend that feels a little bit weaker at the catcher position is willing to toss us, I mean, really anything for Yasmani Grandal at this point. I mean, not, not that I haven't loved Yaz and not that it hasn't been, you know, a situation where I've, I've, I've had high hopes for it, but if you can get really anything for him, that's, that's what you're going to do. And even with a situation where you have uh Lance Lynn, you know, obviously a an option we're going to very obviously decline if he were to stay or stick around just with where we're at as a franchise. Um, if that deal were to fall through with the Rays, um, I think you have the Rangers willing to give you at least something, you know, to, for Lance Lynn. So you're not completely losing him for anything. Is he that 25-year-old high-A player? You know, just might be, but it, it'll be better than letting him walk for nothing. And it's unfortunate we get to situations like that, but I think that should be on the table for every free agent player. Um, so we had a lot of you that are listening or potentially follow us on Facebook and Twitter only, which if you are only doing that, please listen to the podcast. It's pretty good. I think so. Um, 
I saw, we did see um, a, a pretty big poll that we had come in um, where we asked a lot of different questions about the trade deadline. Um, Jordan, I'll let you start with this because I'm sure you have some pretty interesting um, pretty interesting responses that you read. I have a couple. Um, I think a lot of you are in the same realm. You know, I think you guys kind of all have your mind in the same spot. Some of you are a little bit more cynical than others. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that after this season. Um, but Jordan, if there's a, what are, what are some interesting responses you got to this poll? Because I thought it was a pretty, pretty well put together and pretty, pretty good uh, way to get the pulse of the fan base. Oh my God. You guys are pissed off. <laughs> Sox fans like, Oh my God, like reading through this. So in case you haven't stumbled across it, we, we put out a poll that basically said, Hey, can you rebuild the white Sox rebuild? I know really creative. Um, but Basically saying, hey, you know, the first chance to fix what's broken here is the trade deadline. What would you do? Um, and th- the answers ranged. Um, certainly my favorite was uh, Father Zoe, Matt Zawoski, who loves my hair. I'll continue to take any compliments I can get on that. Um, all the way down to someone who literally from name all the way down to the final question, which was anything else, put sell the team. So we have a wide response, uh, wide range of responses, certainly. In there, I think there were some really good trades. Um, Giolito for Hessen Kerstad. I think if you're talking about top 100 prospects, that was at Matthew Feldman, who said that one. If you're talking about top 100 prospects, that's about a 70 overall. Um, That's a little risk. I I don't think that's going to happen necessarily. Um, But I don't think it's off the table in terms of being discussed. Um, at Jason Lowenthal, I'm putting out an article on Monday for like trade deadline prediction type things, like things I would look into. He actually recommended one that I have almost exactly in there. And it's Lynn to the Phillies for a catcher by the name of Caleb Ricketts. Um, I was surprised to see it on there mostly because I'm like, Oh, I thought I found a good one here, but certainly someone else found it too. Um, and then one other, Scott Johnson, no um, Twitter handle, so I assume that's someone from Facebook, mentioning the catching situation out in San Francisco. Um, Blake Sable, Bart, as well as Bailey, Patrick Bailey, all in there for that sort of uh, trio of catchers. They kind of have a glut there. Might be something where, hey, maybe they move Joey Bart, who isn't getting the same amount of playing time because he's kind of been on and off the injured list. Um do you stick with Patrick Bailey? Things like that. So some good responses, certainly. Um, I'm sure everyone else will have other ones to pick out as well. But overall, man, you guys are pissed off. That is the biggest thing I took away from all of this. Yeah, in addition to the guy who wrote sell the team for every answer, there was also like the last question that you want to say where it was like any additional thoughts. A lot of those and any additional thoughts were just sell the team, like from other people too, not, not just that one guy. So, so that was fun. Uh in terms of other interesting answers, there's, there's really, I mean, I think Jordan did a good job of covering um, a few of the good trades. There was one non-trade question that I thought was interesting, which was basically, would you make any internal roster changes after the trade deadline? And there was a lot of, there were a lot of people saying play uh, Lenin Sosa at second base every day and Carlos Perez at catcher. I do fully agree with that. We've talked about that in the podcast already. So shout out to the many people who said that. Another one that I liked was uh from Patrick uh, Malarkey or Malarkey, sorry, I don't know how to pronounce that, but one of the two, I'm assuming, who said that he would let Oscar Colas play every day, even against lefties. And that's something that has always annoyed about this organization, especially at the minor league level. Like I remember during the rebuild in Double A, all the lefty outfielder prospects, like like Blake Rutherford, for example, would always be on the bench when a left-handed starter was pitching for the other team. And it's like, I get that if you're in the major leagues. Gavin Sheets, also another one. Like If you're in the major leagues, fine, that makes sense. But if you're in the minors, this is exactly the kind of time you should be playing. You should develop against the same-sided pitching. So that always annoyed me. And the White Sox kind of have been doing that with Cole at the major league level, but he's been up so briefly that it's hard to say. It's like a whole trend. But if they fully sell off, then definitely Cole should be the lineup every day because the only way he's going to get better against lefties is by facing them. Not to mention he's actually good against lefties relative to other left-handed hitters are usually they're worse against lefties, but Colas is pretty much the same against lefties and righties. So I didn't really understand that either, but that's something I'd like to see. So shout out to Patrick Berger. On the flip side of some of the good things I saw, I think a couple things to point out, you know, 
LA and Baltimore are two very popular places that people have correctly picked out as possible landing destinations. That being said, Dalton Rushing, Diego Cartaya, um, Colby Mayo, Jackson Holiday, just don't even get your hopes up, truthfully. These are all and I'm not just making this up. These are names I've seen as we were going through close to 80 responses. So thank you to everyone who filled it out. Um, keep away from those sorts of names. Like, that's just not happening. Straight up, uh, unless you're moving Cease, Geo, Lynn, all to the um, Orioles, maybe you get Holiday. And I don't even think in that case you get Holiday. Um, overall, I, I think those were two of the big things I wanted to call out. Like, if you're someone who's interested in this and wants to learn more, places like MLB Pipeline, Baseball America, things like that, Start there for prospect lists and also look at historical trades, like see who gets traded for certain guys. Um, You don't see top 20 prospects move for rentals simply because they're rentals. It's eight games, like I mentioned before. Um, So those are things to call out to kind of the flip side of, you know, there were some really good things. I think seeing Pete Crow Armstrong being traded for Keenan Middleton was another one where it's like, that's a top 20 prospect for a reliever. That's not going to necessarily match up. Um, it's those sorts of things. Like if you really want to get into it, cause I know a lot of people said they don't really know a ton. Um, that's kind of how I developed it personally, just cause I also didn't know a ton, um, coming into blogging and writing about it, uh, so much. Yes. I, I think that is important to kind of note is, you know, it is, it is fun to kind of think about the type of type of risk, like prospects we can get back and obviously we've been watching these guys every you know especially like Lucas Giolito we watch him every fifth start for years now so I mean like we have a little bit of a different idea of like what their value is and you know being a fan of this team doesn't really help in you know not being uh, a little bit biased of our value of our own players but I mean other teams just aren't going to be able to give up that type of return unless unless they're really backed into a corner and, you know, I think the Dodgers and Orioles, I'm glad you brought those two teams up specifically because we touched on it a little bit earlier, is like those teams have a long-term plan. If they don't win the World Series this year, like they're not – yeah, uh, no team is going to, you know, love that, but they're not going to lose sleep over it this year. There's 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 a foundation built there. You need to focus on those teams that are making that miracle run. You know, I brought up the Cincinnati Reds earlier. That's, that's the team that you would get to maybe make a desperation move and give up – way too much for Lucas Giolito because they think that's the one piece, you know, that's, those are the teams you need to focus on. But I mean, if you're looking at top prospects on teams that are built to win for the next four or five years and beyond, like you're going to, you you know, Jordan, you know, they're going to be disappointed. Um, my favorite thing with this entire, with this entire process, cause I think it's easy to go through like, you know, every response and kind of see, you know, a different perspective with everybody. It's kind of cool seeing them all like put next to each other and seeing how similar they are while thinking they're very much different opinions. There's a lot of people of the same opinion um, with, with this team. You know, I think uh, there's the hastily negative. There's the hastily positive. There's a lot in between. But um, I thought it was interesting as far as players we would not trade. Um, for a lot of people, it was either Luis Robert and that's it. Or they had a pretty pretty full list outside of just those four players, you know. I was seeing lists with Aloy, Vaughn, Robert, uh, Benintendi, Mankata, and Mankata just for the sake of trade value, Dylan Cease. Um, probably my favorite list is Dylan Cease, Luis Robert, Aloy Jimenez, Andrew Vaughn, Andrew Benintendi, and Oscar Colas because genuinely there's just you're not going to get your value for a guy like Oscar Colas until he starts hitting at the major league level consistently. Um, did see quite a bit of Jake Berger in here, and that does make my heart flutter a little bit because I love Jake Berger. Um the only problem with that, and I don't think Jake's going to get traded because I think they're going to see how this whole Mankata situation plays out, is I don't think we see uh, Endgame with how we would be able to get out of a Yohan Mankata contract currently. So that's it's a weird situation to play with right now, and I think that's going to be somewhere we might get a little bit more clarity in the offseason. Um, I also do like some of these trade hypotheticals. You know, like like you said, some of them are a little bit crazy as far as the returns. Um, I did get a really good one, um, and it was trading uh, Joe Kelly to the Dodgers for a 13-pack of Dodger dogs. Um, that was probably my favorite response. <laughs> I missed that as, one. As far as trade goes, <laughs> that was uh, that was Ike, I believe, that uh, made that one. Um, Elvis Andrews to the Cubs for Nick Madrigal also got a pretty audible laugh out of me. 
Um, also, people have to keep in mind that trading uh, Liam Hendricks is incredibly difficult, given the fact that he's been on the injured list for a while now. And it kind of seems like they're really just trying to take it slow with him. And um, that would be something that if it were to happen, would probably be later, probably be in the offseason. Um, and I also do like uh, some of the call-ups as well. Um, somebody had Zach Remillard as a uh, a non-trade a non-trading piece, and like I respect the idea of Zach Remillard having trade value, but let's. We are in for a rude awakening if we're putting Zach Remillard on. Go go play MLB. Go play MLB the show and toss Zach Remillard on your trade block and tell me what it gets you because it's oh, probably my. not too far off. But shout out Zach Remillard. He has uh, been played very well. Um, and there is a lot of people that were talking about the idea of Zach Remillard really getting a, a good look at the major league level, as well as a lot of people calling for Lenin Sosa, which I think at this point, you know, you really can't really can't argue with that too much. Um, but overall, I appreciate all the responses. Um, the Shohei Otani question was hilarious. There's a lot of really good ones in there, too. And I agree with you with Zoe saying give Otani a billion dollars and sign other good players. Um, I think uh I think Jerry Reinsdorf would gladly jump into a coffin before he did that, but I respect the optimism. Um, but overall, I always always appreciate everyone getting good responses on this. Um, it's something we really like to do. Um, but now let's get a little bit more specific um, because we did get some specific fan questions. Some of them we've probably already answered on the podcast, so I'll just go over some of them really quickly. Uh, TJ Schubert, who is not getting traded, kind of discussed that at nauseum at this point. Um, Doug Wolf at WANDTV. Doug, will Sox make minor changes or put fans through another multi-year rebuild? It's really hard to say. You know, I think uh, I think a lot of us have kind of had the same idea that uh, it's going to be a situation where they're going to reevaluate after the season. I'm not sure if either of you guys have different responses to it. Nick, I know you said something a little bit about it earlier. Yeah, I mean, I don't think they're going to want to do a multi-year rebuild in part because I don't think Jerry Reinsdorf wants to sit through another one, especially as he gets older, but I do think they're going to do some sort of like retooling, which sometimes can be good. Other times it's just like a half-assed way to cut payroll. So we'll see which one, which route they actually take. But I I don't think it'll be as, as nearly, uh, nearly as full as the rebuild that we just went through. I think it'll be more of like a one or two year max kind of deal. Yeah, I'm in agreement. I just, I also mentioned earlier, I don't think the current CBA incentivizes Try to get a top one or two pick every. You physically cannot do that um, with the contract with the CBA language. Yeah, shout out to Houston and uh, Baltimore for that. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, like like I kind of said, I think we're going to reevaluate next year, and I think we're going to try to make another another little run at it, and eventually, I think we'll either see that there's something here, or we're going to probably end up hitting a rebuild sooner rather than later. Um, Alex Wapple. What kind of haul do we expect Sox to be looking at during the deadline? Prospects on the cusp of breaking into the league or younger established role players? Alex, you are very, very optimistic on that. I think this. I think if we are going to get guys at the deadline, it's going to be guys that are either very early in their development cycle, um, perhaps guys that were drafted maybe early mid round, but you know potentially maybe not top one hundred guys, obviously. But I think as uh, as Jordan, you said a little bit earlier, maybe around that like. 120 130 type area very early in the process or to the flip side of that high-end prospects coming in who have maybe taken a little bit slower to develop than initially expected i could see us possibly taking a chance on some of those guys because we have a pretty established history with that jordan i don't know if you have uh, anything different on on that one no i think it'd be nice to get guys who are closer to major league ready but the reality is like sometimes the talent level you want doesn't align with the development path that they're on. I'd rather get the better talent and accept a longer development path than someone who's closer to major league ready, but may not have the ceiling. Um, That's the biggest thing in terms of, especially when I was putting together some of the trade article or trade pieces, I'm putting in an article, shout out, make sure to go read that. Um, That was kind of what I was balancing as well. Uh, It's not an easy thing to do Um, from the outside looking in. It's more so where the white Sox view themselves. Sydney Brown um, at SidKid80. We kind of discussed this already, so we'll go over real quick. Um, if the White Sox become sellers at deadline, we're there. Uh, do you explore the possibility of trading Aloy Jimenez? Kind of discussed the uh, pros and cons of that a little bit earlier. It's kind of hard to trade him in this spot where you're at. Jordan, I don't know if you have anything different, but, I mean, we kind of already touched on that for the most part. No, I'd probably look at moving him in the offseason if 
they were to actually do that. Yeah, which I I I think that's kind of unrealistic with where the White Sox and how they value Aloy Jimenez, especially with the significance of that trade originally. Um, Stephen H uh, at LPN one nine eight three call Milwaukee or Baltimore and offer Geo Lynn Graveman Kelly and Cash for at least two of their top one hundred prospects. Sound good to you? Question mark Does it sound good to you, Nick? I mean, it does, and it kind of is similar to what we talked about earlier about the idea of packaging multiple of your assets in one deal to try to increase the return. I don't think that including all those relievers, Cash and Lynn, would get you a second top one hundred guy with Chilito, but I do think that it would significantly increase the return. So I like the idea. I just don't know if you would actually get two like literal top 100 guys for that. Yeah. I mean, they don't have that. That's the thing. If you, depending on the lists you look at, they don't have back end top 100 guys. Their lowest, I believe is Kierstad, who is now 68th overall per baseball America. That's pushing it for geo. So it's like, now you're going to lean into the fifties and the thirties. It's like, I don't think two rental starting pitchers, a rental reliever and a reliever on and deal with one more year on it is going to get you there. It sounds nice. I just don't think where they rank in terms of the top 100, it's going to get you there. Yeah. I I personally think if Corbin Burns saw Milwaukee take on that type of money, he might burn Miller park to the ground. But um, yeah, I just, I think that's a pretty tough one with where their farm system is right now. They do have some pretty high end talent on there. And um, I thought they had a really good draft. Um, obviously I'm a little bit closer to the Milwaukee area, so I see quite a bit of it from their perspective. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't think that's something they're really looking for. And I think they do have a lot of faith in their starting rotation as it is. Um, they would maybe want a guy like Gio or Lynn, but I don't think you're, I don't think you could really get them on a package like that. I think they're really, really content with their bullpen as well, especially the back end. Um, JD, I'm going to butcher your last name. I apologize, buddy. I appreciate the question. JD Snyadolf. J.D. Snedelf, that's how I'm going to say it, at J.D. Snedelf. Oh, my God, I would have gone completely different. You J.D. Snedelf <laughs> um, on Twitter. What is the hypo- hypothetical package on Robert? I'm sorry, buddy. I just, I'm, I'm terrible with this. Uh, would the O.S. be a candidate? We kind of touched on that already. Um, it's difficult for Baltimore to be in that discussion, and it's really hard to trade a guy like Luis Robert at the deadline given what you could potentially get in him. It's that's, that's a situation where you need to get a lot of teams at the table and really just have them kind of fight for him. If you really want to do that, um, kind of already discussed that quite a bit. Um, and then the last question we have here from Chris Rearson um, at Chris Rearson, uh 10, 19 on Twitter, which free agents do we target to hopefully turn this team around? Now, this is actually a pretty good question. Um, if we did want to go out and try to spend money, um, Otani is off the table. I refuse to hear Shohei Otani in this answer to this question. Nick, who is a free agent that you're looking at for next season? It's tough because it'll depend on what the purpose of next season is. If the purpose is this is a retool year, we're just trying to develop people, then you should try to do something like what the Cubs did with Cody Bellinger this year. Sign somebody who has upside but maybe hasn't been fully fully there in recent years. Whereas if the if the point is we're actually trying to contend, then really it's not that great of a free agent market honestly there are very limited options and I, I would say i'm half joking when i say lucas giolito because like they, they really need starting pitching and there won't be many starting pitchers on the market so that's like my my half fake answer i'll also throw out if you want to find someone like bellinger there also aren't that many options so joey gallo will be a free agent again but you know it seems like white Sox fans hate him and twins fans also kind of hate him, even though he's been okay for them but I guess I'll never get to see my guy Gallo on the White Sox. So I've kind of accepted that. I mean, I'm just filtering the list. It's not a great list of free agents. Let's start there. There's not a good list of free agents. This is not a good upcoming class. The class that's here, though, just filter on starting pitchers because the White Sox are going to have two next year. Like, that's it. Cease, go back. So you're going to need to sign somebody. Um, but I, I do agree with Nick. What's the plan for next year? How does this, that, that's why I think the, Trade deadline is so important and why we as fans focus on it. What's the outlook for next year look right at the end of the, the trade deadline, but also at the end of the season? What's your outlook? What's your long-term plan at this point? Who they get back as part of returns will be a big part of that. So I think this is going to be a heavy question to answer after the trade deadline happens, especially because like the guys you get in return – says a lot about where you view this team over the next year or two. Yeah, I I agree. I I agree, Nick, with your 
mindset of a guy like um, a guy like Bellinger, I think that is a re- that would be a really good idea if that guy was available. Unfortunately, it just doesn't look like that is the case. Um, I mean, and I'm with you, Jordan. Look, just looking at uh, looking at the upcoming free agents, it's definitely uh, definitely not a class we're trying to really sink our teeth into. Um, and I say this half kidding, but I could very much see it if it were to be a situation where he would move on from his team. But given Pedro Grafal's connection to him in our glaring hole at second base, Whit Merrifield being a Chicago White Sox would certainly be wild. But and Jordan, you're giving me a look, but let's stop. Chicago let's just, White Sox, we're talking to you, buddy. It's it's time to go. We're I'm I'm not entertaining this right now. <laughs> All I'm saying, three hit wit paired with. <laughs> I'm sorry, I can't. I, I exactly. <laughs> Hey, good question. I I appreciate it. It just sucks that we are where we are as a free in free agency, and who knows? There's a lot of there's a lot of things that can drop before we get to that point. Obviously, we'd always like to see Jerry Reinsdorf, you know, pull out his wallet every once in a while. Um, but it's kind of a difficult off season to be able to do that. We kind of miss the boat every single time there is a situation to do that. So, um, Lucas Giolito. Not, not the worst idea in the world. Um, but, ladies and gentlemen, that is all we have for this week on the Sox on 35th podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple, Spotify, YouTube, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. Also, be sure to check out the website at SoxOn35th.com, as well as following us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at SoxOn35th to stay up to date with your Chicago White Sox. This has been Duke Coughlin, joined as always by Jordan Lazowski and Nick Geller. We will be back next week as we cover another week of White Sox baseball. Thank you, Rick Hahn, and go Sox! Thanks for everybody's fan questions, too. Go Sox! Thank you for Duke for starting the Whit Merrifield of the White Sox revolution. Oh my god. (laughs) Throw up. (laughs) 